This is a story about Noel, who was just hours from death from a very, very aggressive cancer. Noel and his wife, Wendy, share their story of the cancer that was growing on Noel's head so aggressively at one point that they could see it growing bigger every day. The cancer ate through his skull into his brain, causing paralysis and eventually making Noel bedridden, unable to move or speak. When he was only hours from death, something changed. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know what happens. God steps in and performs a miracle. I highly recommend that you check out the photos that we have on our website, which is www.revivalontheairtoday.com. Just a warning though, they're pretty confronting, but maybe hit pause now and look at the photos first before you listen to the rest of the episode, because it provides some really, really powerful context to Noel and Wendy's story. Be prepared to be amazed. Noel and Wendy, welcome to Revival on the Air today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, pretty excited to be talking to you both about what God's done for Noel and for you, obviously, Wendy as well. So you've got an amazing, miraculous story about what God's done for you. And I know that it's really important that we have both of you tell this story because Wendy, in the beginning, you're the one that uh, has most of the information because Noel was very, very unwell. Uh, and Noel's uh, got a lot towards the end about what God's done for him. So where did it all start, Wendy? Well, it started December. December 20, he had some squamous cells on top of his head and the doctor tried to remove them. They It didn't go well. He's... Sorry, what sort of cells were they? Yeah, it's a squamous cells cancer. What's a squamous cells cancer? Well, it's not a good one, but um, it's not as bad as a melanoma. It's um, mm-hmm. slow growing. It's slow growing, but it can break off and go other places and they like to get them off fairly soon. But he didn't have any success with it and he said, I'll come back in the new year, which was the beginning of 21. We went back January 21 and he looked at it and he said, oh, I don't like the look of it, I'll do a biopsy. So after the biopsy, when Noel went in, he was told it's a melanoma. And that word, you know, obviously, it, wow, the melanoma. So we instantly booked a private surgeon to have a look and we went to see him and he was quite quiet when he looked at it and came back and he said, look, he said, I don't want to touch this, it's huge, it's big, it's the worst kind. And he said, Basically, this could cost you everything. And he said, go to the hospital because he said, I worked with the surgeons in there and they can look after this. And how big was it at that time? Oh, it's really hard to tell. We couldn't tell. It's a bird's egg, I think. It's a bird's egg. So how quickly, so when you first noticed that there was something wrong to getting to that size of the bird egg, how long did that take? Well, you couldn't see much in the beginning. You couldn't see anything really in the beginning, so it wasn't really a bird's egg. No, but when we went to that private surgeon, Mm. there was a bird's egg there. But it wasn't raised up. It was just underneath the surface, so you couldn't sort of see much, but obviously after he examined it, he could see that it was pretty bad. It was level four. Level four cancer, which is extreme. Which is the depth. So we went... um, then to the hospital where the surgeons were and they said, yeah, we'll take it off, no worries. So he had an operation and they had to do a skin graft. It was quite an extensive operation. And they said, oh, we've got it all. And within a few weeks they took him back in to do another scan but there was still cancer there. So they said, this time we'll take you to, you'll go to a team of plastic surgeons and they'll do a different operation. And so in we went again and this is, you know, a couple of months had gone past 
He went in again and they did another operation where they, it was quite different. Yeah, so it looked pretty horrible and it came right down low. It was all stitched up and taken more skin grafts. Come down low where? Like above his eyebrow? You can sort of see, yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. They took it all down there. That's the operation was down there. So to explain to those that are listening, we're talking from the top of the head, right, right up on the, uh, right at the top, just just by the crown almost. Yes. Right down the front of your forehead to just above the eyebrow. Yeah, that's where they, that was extensive oh, wow. amount of cancer. And back here. And they wanted to get all of it. Yeah. So they went that far and when we went back in again, it, it settled down for a while and, you know, we had to get the staples out and everything. We waited and then this lump popped up. And we went to our GP and he said, oh, I think it's just an oil gland getting blocked. And so we went back again. It was huge by this time. It was growing really fast. He said, oh, and we said to him, we'd rather get it fixed at the hospital where they know him. So when we went into the hospital again, they said, oh, this looks really suspicious. We'll do another biopsy. And it was all the cancer was back again. And so from first diagnosis to this point, how much time had passed? Eight, nine months. Right. So not a long time. So he's had two operations now. Yeah. And it's still aggressively yeah. growing. So we went in this particular day because they said, oh, we might be able to do some therapy on him. So we went in and at, by this stage, he wasn't able to drive. His right leg couldn't work the accelerator. So he said, you're going to have to drive me. I can't, can't. something's gone wrong with my leg. By the time we got into the hospital, he was hardly able to walk. And they said, we can't send wow. him home like this. He can't walk. And I thought, no, he can't really. I, I don't know what to do. His speech was getting very muddled up at this stage. It was growing so fast on his head, you could notice it daily. It was huge. Oh, wow. So um, it's horrible remembering back because it's pretty horrible. They said, we try and do this some therapy. Well, the therapy didn't work because he was, so, he was getting so paralysed. So they had to forget the therapy and they gave him a steroid to try and reduce the thing on his head. So they kept him in the hospital and I was glad of that because I obviously couldn't manage because he couldn't move properly. Then they sent him to Brisbane Hospital and they said, um, you know, we, we're going to try and do the, an original operation that they were going to one day do down there for him. It was a 12-hour operation that they wanted to do down there they couldn't do it on the Sunshine Coast. It's a 12-hour operation and it enabled, it, it may, he, they had to remove his skull because by this stage the scan showed that the cancer had eaten through into his brain. So it's through his skull and into his brain. So that's why he couldn't talk properly. And by this stage he was, the right side of him was completely paralysed. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're people of faith and have obviously seen amazing miracles you know, sure in have. your journey with God over you know, 40, 40 plus years. What were you doing at this time? Clearly, you were praying. Clearly, the church was praying yes, for you. There were, look, truly hundreds of people praying. There was, um, while he was at home, people had come around to the house and prayed. We were praying in the church, fasting, just really putting it to the Lord. Because it, at this stage, I hadn't gone there to think that he wasn't going to get better. It hadn't entered my mind. I just, I was acting normally and just getting, you know, just being sort of straightforward and trying to get everything sorted because it was a lot to do. So. Did your attitude or your viewpoint change at any time? My viewpoint towards the Lord never changed. I, 
Well, when he came, when he eventually came home to die, which they'd given him four weeks to live, uh, the, the palliative team came in and they were here every day and they brought beds in and equipment and they did everything. And I was sleeping in a little bed beside him at night. And at night I used to get, I, well, this particular night I got a picture of the Lord's crucifixion and what he's promised, you know, the by his stripes we are healed. And I looked at his stripes and I looked at what he did and I said to the Lord, I don't want you to have done this in vain because you did this for us. So that was just one night. There were other days when I looked at him and I I actually cursed this thing on in Jesus' name because it had grown to such a grotesque size that I cursed it in Jesus' name because it was so horrendous. And another time I came in and I looked at him at night and I said to him, this just isn't right. You know, there was just something wrong about the whole thing. It just it just didn't seem right. Noel, what were you thinking through this period of time? Not much at all, Ben, because the left side of my brain was dead. It was, it was completely, there was getting no blood and it was completely useless. And so there was a lot of, uh, there, was, there was very little emotion. There was very little concern. He didn't care. I didn't care, but, but it's not that I didn't care. My brain wouldn't let me care. You understand no. that? Uh, I, no, I don't because that sounds really strange, but, but I, I could probably understand the science that sits behind why that yeah, might be well, the case. Well, wow. it was a very, very unusual time. Remember, he couldn't talk. He could only say a few words and sometimes they didn't make sense. So it's like I had a stroke. Just the, the, um, the vein was fed, fed the left side of my brain with blood, was completely blocked, 40, 40 millimetres of blockage from the tumour. And so it was not getting any blood for, oh, I don't know, a couple of months or I don't know how long, but yeah, for, right. for quite a time. Yeah. So that left me with blank. I was quite blank. So there was teams of people coming around to pray and fast over him all the time. You have no idea. It was just full on, people at the door all the time. They knew he couldn't talk. Sometimes he couldn't open his eyes and he'd just, we'd sort of have him propped up on a chair and um, they'd come and talk for a little while. They couldn't stay too long because it was too exhausting for him. Sometimes he couldn't get out of bed and they'd have to sit on my bed and just talk to him in this hospital bed because he was just his just skin and bone and he couldn't sit up on his own, he couldn't do anything. But, yeah. I've got you shared some photos with me that we'll put on the yeah. website um, and you've said it's okay to share them. And they're, they're good photos compared. And I looked at them and, in fact, I showed my wife earlier today and she was, so, I mean, we were both just shell-shocked and you're, and you're telling me that they were good photos. Mm. But you said you stopped taking photos. Yeah, I didn't want memories of it anymore. I just didn't want them to be the part of me that looked at them ever again. I didn't want to go there. But um, we've got to get back to the Brisbane Hospital because down in Brisbane, the team down there that was going to do this 12-hour operation finally said to him, we can't do another operation, you'll die. You haven't got enough strength for it anyway. And he said, even if we do this operation, which involves taking his whole skull out, taking muscles from the back of his shoulders, putting them up on his head, running veins up into the muscle and then doing a skin graft on the top of that, 12 hours. 
He won't survive it and we cannot get all the cancer. The cancer's gone down into the back of his neck and we can't get it. So they said put him in a nursing home and I just didn't want to do that. And I thought my daughter had said she'd come and stay and I thought the two of us could manage. So we brought him home and um, I can understand why the doctors didn't want him coming home because my GP said no. He said you, you won't manage and it's true. We wouldn't have managed. For one week we managed. It was very difficult because we couldn't move him. He was so, we just, you know, he was paralysed and he wasn't eating properly. And so um, my grandson came. He's a very big, hefty guy, very strong. He left his wife and two kids and he came and stayed here and he did all the lifting. He lifted him up in bed, he turned him over and all that kind of stuff. That's what he was here for. So there was the team of the three of us plus the palliative nurses came in every day. I found it very difficult and I used to sort of say to him, I just don't want you to leave me because we're very close. How long have you been married? 42 years. Yeah. 43 this year actually, 43. (sighs) So I was trying to imagine life without him and he did get to the stage where one night when we pulled him up out of the bed, and we saw how thin he was, and that's not that's not the thinness you've seen, it's worse. And I looked at him and I thought, it's past the point of no return. I did think that. Up until then I thought anything can happen because we've seen amazing things happen in the Lord. But when I looked at him I thought, I just couldn't imagine him coming right. Um, yeah. So um, the, nurse, the palliative team came in and they just said, it got down to three days. So he was just he was just nothing in the bed. If you know what I mean, he couldn't talk, he couldn't move. He was just this skeleton. And um, they said, Wendy, you must call your pastor and get his funeral arrangements made. So we called Pastor Bill over and he sat with us, not with Noel because Noel was just out of it, and... Um, he sat with my daughter and I and we worked out everything. And then we, you know, we rang and organised the funeral directors. We organised every every detail of the funeral right down to the flowers, everything. Because the palliative team said, when the time comes in a couple of days, your emotions won't be able to do this as well as what you can now. That's why they told me to do it now. So that's what we did. And, and so then something happened. Now, remembering that, There were people praying and fasting everywhere. There were people sending music through to him on his phone, people singing songs. You have no idea how many people came to our door to come and just sit beside his bed and talk scriptures and pray and sing. It was just amazing. You'd just never seen anything like it. And I was in the kitchen this day and I I, I just went and saw him and he, he was just staring and I thought he'd died. I thought he'd gone. And I went up and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, are you all right? And he couldn't talk, but he looked, he put his head down and he looked and he could, uh, he was going like this with his fingers. He'd never been able to do On his right hand. He not do that for months. Yeah. So this is the paralysed side. Just yeah, paralyzed. that, yeah. just the paralysed side was just, well, my brain didn't cope with it. I just went into, back into the kitchen and started preparing food. And then my daughter came home with the groceries and she said, Mum, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, Noel was talking and he's moving his hands and he's going like this. 
Who's moving his hands around. Moving his hands around. Believe it or not, he was standing up the next day. It was so fast and we we looked <laughs> we looked at it and we said, you know what? It's gone down. And every day it was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And so every, so you were saying every day it was shrinking. You could see it shrinking yeah. every day. But this was a Thursday afternoon. On the Sunday I went to the I'd been at the meeting the Sunday before and I was pretty emotionally distraught. But I love being at the meeting. It was good. It was just lovely being with everyone. Now, he started moving his hands Thursday. I went to the meeting on the Sunday and got some people ready for baptism. And everyone could see there was a bit of a lightness in me, but I did, we didn't tell anybody anything. Obviously, Noel wasn't there. Didn't say anything to anyone. Why, why didn't you tell anyone? I, don't, I didn't want to get people way excited unless we knew it was going to be real, to be quite honest. I didn't know where it was going. I hadn't talked to any doctor. I went and hired a walker, high arms on it. So he got on that and I was on the phone he, and I was thinking he should be able to go to the door and back. And he came back and he said, oh, I've walked all over the house. And he was talking normally. <laughs> so a few people that really are very, very close to us and live nearby, I whispered in their ear on that Sunday, something's happening. That's all I said. Something's changed. On Tuesday, Noel's got the pastor around and all our very close friends around and he just said to them all, he just sat there and he said very calmly, I've been healed. And I was. And when did that consciousness that you'd been healed enter your mind, Noel? Okay, so on the day of that I moved my fingers, I reckoned that the left side of my brain was beginning to work, but I didn't. That was a natural reckoning. The next day I, I got a revelation from God. I, I can't explain it and I can't tell you what it was because I can't remember, but, but I had a real realisation that I'd been healed and that it was time to announce it. It was time to tell people. Can you remember much of your conscious thought before that happened or was there not a lot of conscious thought at that point? I can remember listening to conversations out here. I was in the bedroom and, and uh, Wendy and uh, Sue and the nurses were talking and I was trying to work out from the conversations how long I had to live, but it wasn't out of fear or it was just in, out of um, knowledge more than anything, just to, just to know how much time I had and I wasn't looking at the clock thinking, oh, minutes are gone by, won't be long and I'll be gone. And I, that, that never entered my mind. It was just the fact that I was dying was just a fact, you know, it was, and I'm probably a bit ashamed of it. I wish I'd been a bit more... Um... He did, his brain capacity just wasn't working. No, the brain was working. It just yeah. wasn't working. I, you know, we'd read a scripture to him and he'd go, I don't know it, I don't, I don't. I... So I'd, I'd read him just three words sometimes, mm. three words. Listen, just listen to those three words because he couldn't, even a whole sentence was too much for him. See, the right side of my brain was still working, so that's the... That's the logical side, and, and, and my thoughts were all logical. Not, there was no compassion. There was no, um, none of the, the, the left side of my brain didn't come into it at all. Mm. And, of course, the left side of your brain controls the right side movement. So if you, yes. the paralysis on the right-hand mm. side of your body was because of your left yeah. side of your brain yes. wasn't, wasn't working effectively. Yes, mm. yeah, and... I used to feel these things on the, on my head. I used to touch them, and they were hot. They'd be 
pulsing, boiling hot. hot, almost pulsing and boiling hot, and you could nearly see through them. It was different layers of colour, and they were very red, yeah, and shiny, and very hot. The the day after I, I started moving my fingers was the day, the first day that I, I noticed that they were getting cold, and they were just getting colder and colder by the day. And shrinking by the day, and you could notice them. You could, you could, you'd see that it was the whole thing was reversing and going backwards, and, and getting colder and colder. And, and like to touch, to touch now, it's like it's not like any other part of my body. It's quite cold. So when it was retreating or shrinking, what was happening to the skin it was on previously? Well, it was coming up normal. It was, it was just coming up as as normal skin. And and so it was as it was retreating, the um, the skin was normal underneath, except that it had holes in it, which didn't go right through into my brain, obviously, but but um, through the flesh onto my skull, I, I suppose. But underneath them, it was just as they, they retreated, they it was just leaving normal skin behind. So I've I've yeah. got an appointment with the the um, plastic surgeons to talk about possibly removing them, but um, I, I don't mind if they don't do that because I think that God started a work and I, I'd like him to finish it. So this is to remove just the last remaining you know, bits of, well, effectively, what is it, dead tissue now, is it? Uh, uh, well, it's very hard. It's like a, it's, it's it's, like a rock. It's almost like a horn on, on my head. Okay. Uh, my yeah, GP, right. right from the beginning when we got him home, I mentioned to him one day that I'm giving him so, such and such to make him stronger. He said, Wendy, you've got to listen to me. He's probably not even got four weeks to live. Now, do you understand he is not going to get better? So when he finally rang and he said, oh, look, how's no?" I said, oh, he's good. He's up and walking now and he's going well. He didn't believe me at all. He's been in complete shock. He's been ringing the hospital over and over, all the oncology people out there. He said, this is the story of the year. He said, I had to, I'm so sorry, but I had to tell all my family. He said he's never seen anything like it ever. So he's the one that wants, he, he thought this would fall off in the end, just fall off, yeah. and it still might fall off. But on the 7th of April, we're going to go and let the plastic people have a look at it. I think it's a good thing for them to look at it because they were the ones that told him, Four weeks to live and this isn't going to get better. So I want, we've been able to just witness to so many people, dozens and dozens of people. You think of all the palliative team that came in here. They were hysterical when they saw him up and walking. They just couldn't believe it. Were they? Wow. I mean, really hysterical, you know, like unbelievable. <laughs> we had a box in the garage called End of Life, number box, box three, and it was the end of life box. It had all the, all the everything he needed. Everything he needed for the for the last for day. For the last day, that was all in there. Boxes of everything everywhere. Can I ask what's in an end of life box? Well, I didn't have a good look, but I saw some plastic leads and some you know the things that hang from drips and things like that. I guess. Yeah. They said, look, no use looking in it. You don't need to know what's in it. We need it to to deal with this. So when the time comes, we'll deal with it. And they just said, leave it. I didn't look in it. So we're not the type of people to go into Google and find we never, out. Yeah, we never go into anything. We don't go into boxes. We don't go into Google. We don't try and find out what's going to happen anywhere. Just leave the whole thing to the Lord. Those things only erode your faith anyway. Yes, I know. It does. I know. It does. And that's why we didn't. 
So in some ways I want the plastic people to see on the 7th of April they were the ones that saw. Naldi couldn't, obviously he couldn't see what was happening. We didn't show him a mirror what, what was happening on his head. He didn't see it. But my daughter and I, every day there was melanomas coming up about that big, about the size of a grape, but all popping up around the back. Yeah. So there'd be new ones there all the time and we'd just say we're not even going to tell him about yeah. them. So what about the oncologist? Oh, we had to go and see the oncologist at the hospital. So this was after, so he's up and walking now, it's shrinking, he can talk, he wants to tell people that he's been healed, uh, and so then you go and see the oncologist? Well, my, my our doctor wanted him to go and have a scan, Where is there any cancer there, and see the oncologist, the head of oncology, because he saw Noel, he knew that he was dying. So we had the scans done, we went in, we sat there, and he was acting really strange. He said, come in, guys, come in. And then he closed the door and he went away for 20 minutes like he couldn't face us. Seriously. Then he came back and he just went on his computer. He wouldn't look at his head. And I was going, but look at this. You know, show, trying to show him. And he's on the computer and blah, blah, blah and all this other stuff. And I said, can we just get back to this problem here? Um, have you ever seen, because he said, oh, you know, people can get better and blah, blah, blah. I said, Yeah. I said, I just want you to ask, answer me one question. Have you ever seen anyone this close to death and survive? And he said, never. That's all I wanted to hear. We weren't blaming him or saying you could have done more. Or, we just wanted him to acknowledge something amazing's happened here. Anyway. Um, and he acknowledged it. Well, he acknowledged unusual things can happen. We just continually tell people it's a miracle, explain everything to them. So... I mean, we've seen the most amazing miracles in 43 years in the Lord, amazing, and this is one of them. I'll be happy to go back and see the plastic people on the 7th of April because they've seen everything. They did the operation. They knew it. he couldn't survive. So so that's about a week, in, a week or so away yeah. from today when we're recording. Yeah. So how long ago now, how long has it been since he was given four weeks to live? Well, it would have been four weeks before the 18th of November, 2021. I was healed on the 18th of November. I think it was sort of somewhere in September, they told him. So that's about six or seven months ago. Yeah, yep. That's when they told him, he would, you know, to go home, to put him in a nursing home. He's got four weeks. And I just thought to myself, bring him home where he's got family, he's got friends, he's got people that come in and pray over him. I didn't want him being in a nursing home, but it was very hard going. Wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm very thankful to our amazing uh, God and our amazing Saviour for yeah. what He's done uh, for you both. Amen. Thank you. It's delightful. Yeah. And thanks, Ben, for the opportunity to share this. Yeah, we want to share it with everybody. Thank you. I'll let you know um, what the um, plastics Plus. team say. Good. Yeah, I look forward. I look forward to hearing that. Yeah, that's good. Was that amazing or what? Wow, what an amazing story. I spoke to Wendy about a month after we recorded this episode for an update on their visit back to the doctor and the specialists. Their local doctor is clearly confounded uh, and thinks this is the story of the year. Their GP was actually getting quite distressed and the head of oncology couldn't give him an explanation and this local GP wanted an answer. So he then made an appointment for them with the plastic surgeon who did the original surgery on Noel's head. 
and she said it was the same behaviour. The surgeon just quickly glanced at Noel but just kept looking at the scans in detail with all the same questions. The surgeon's eventual answer, strange things do happen. Their GP is still upset that he doesn't have an answer. Well, we know the answer, don't we? We have more miraculous stories like Noel's. People healed from all manner of disease, sickness, accidents, mental ill health. Check out our other episodes by scrolling down the page on your podcast app. We would love for you to reach out to us if you would like more information about how God can heal you, how he can change you, how he can perform a miracle in your life. Send us an email via podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Revival on the Air Today. I hope you join us again. Until next time, God bless. God bless.